Welcome to episode 204 of the Grip Strip Podcast, another trip around the sun edition of the Grip Strip Podcast. My name is Philip Matthew. I'm your host, and I'm with my co-host, the iRacing Indy 500 champion, computer genius, a gentleman, a scholar, and someone who attended the Roar and got pictures with one Daryl Wallace Jr. and John Hunter Nemechek. His name is Josh Fine. What's going on, brother? And doing great, Phil. Of course, uh, saw the roar before the 24 at Daytona this past weekend. Got to um, see all the practice and everything. And, of course, uh, saw Bubba Wallace there um, practicing with uh, John Hunter Nemechek. And it's pretty pretty cool to see that and to get a picture. Actually, first time that I've gotten a picture with the driver, um, which you know, I've been a fan for over 20 years now. No, that's actually a first there. So glad to have done that, of course. And Bob Wallace, pretty good guy too. So glad to get a picture of him and John Hunter as well. So yeah, of course, got that. And of course, uh, another trip around the sun with, um, you know, another year of Rolex, another year of racing upon us now. And of course, um, getting ready to wrap up the NFL playoffs here uh, with uh, the divisional round uh, just this past weekend. Yep. And we're getting into the conference championship weekend. A uh, couple days after I go and turn 39, and the 28th uh, or tw- the next Monday will be the anniversary of the last time the Niners won the Super Bowl. Uh, it was on the 29th, January 29th, 1995, and uh, hopefully we're talking about uh, the 49ers making the Super Bowl uh, uh, next Monday, but we can't get ahead of ourselves. We have to talk about the divisional round and all the games that took place. Uh, started with the Ravens and the Houston Texans, and then the Niners and Green Bay on Saturday. And then on Sunday, it was Detroit hosting Tampa Bay and the box office one, the Tony Romo um, Jack Off special, which is Kermit the Frog versus Josh Allen. Uh, which was dram- all, I mean, three of the four games were dramatic. Um, so that, that was good. And we'll get in all those games. We'll talk about updates on coaches. Uh, there has, it looks like there is an, uh, an announcement that's come here in the past couple of an hour- hours for a head coaching job. And then there was a couple of jobs that have been taken off the board also, um, GM positions, a couple of those have been uh, solidified. We'll talk all about that. We'll uh, get into the Dakar Rally, a couple of Americans. I think the first couple of off-road racing had uh, a, a lot to celebrate. Um, one of the legends of motorsports won, won, his class, won the one overall. Uh, we'll get into the winners there. We'll talk about Super Motocross and uh, the first-time winner. Get into any updates with news on NASCAR side and in uh, other series. Formula E will be racing their second race of the 2024 season in Saudi Arabia later this week. And then we'll uh, preview the Rolex 24 at Daytona Uh since the roar took place, they did qualifying, and uh, we'll get into that. Uh, make uh, maybe make some picks, uh, even. Uh, then we'll definitely be previewing the conference championship games and making our picks there. 
Josh will let us know all things going on in the world of iRacing and gaming in a sim segment, and uh, we'll call it a day. So let's do this in order. Uh, we'll get into the Baltimore Ravens and Houston Texans game, which was on Saturday afternoon. C.J. Stroud in his second playoff game, first playoff game on the road, and um, he held his own in the first half. The Texans held their own. They were able to stay with the Baltimore Ravens. As per what I've seen of the Ravens, uh, they were they had slow start, but then once the second half came around, Lamar Jackson looked like uh, subhuman and um, went off, and the defense was able to kind of run roughshod on the Houston Texans offense. And um, injuries also played a part, I think, there with their offensive line, and they weren't able to, to establish the run in the second half. Uh, Baltimore kind of did what they've been doing for the majority of the season and um, basically took it out of the hands of the Texans. They really had no answers for Lamar Jackson, and uh, even when he wasn't running around like a nut job, he was able to make one of his garbage ass passes and complete them so um the soon to be two-time mvp will now uh host for the first time in his career a championship game afc championship game in their house um and i'm he'll have a an opponent that is familiar to many of course and we'll get into that later but i mean cj stroud houston texans I know it was a, it was definitely at the expense of your boys, Josh, but you've been able to see them twice this year. You've kind of been able to see the growth there with the Houston Texans. Um, the fact that they were they stayed with the Ravens for a half, which I think is seemingly a regular trend, um, speaks a lot to what the potential is probably for that franchise and that organization long term. Uh, because of all the young talent they have there. Yeah, but I mean, that, there's... Oh, wait, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, but, but in the end, though, it was Baltimore, and they've been the best team in the NFL this year, and they're one win away from going to the Super Bowl again. Yeah, I mean, I think for Houston, it's just a um, young talent that they have all around. You know, you have C.J. Stroud, who's just, I think been coached at an elite level this year. I mean, I think, you know, D'Amico Ryan's... Um, you know, th two years, you know, after the Houston, you know, they've had coaching changes the last two years and D'Amico Ryans comes in and he's done a phenomenal job uh, coaching. Uh, and, you know, I think his coaching career has showed and him being a former player, um, he knows how to get the most out of these players and everything. And um, the offense that they run, you know, it's derivative of the San Francisco Shanahan offense. So I think that's a really good fit for Stroud uh, as well. And of course, uh, they they had injuries on the wide receiver end this year. You know, Tank Dell was really good in the regular season and he got hurt uh, towards the end uh, there. So um, would have liked to have had him back, I'm sure, for this playoff game. Uh, but Stroud was able to make it work uh, in the wild card game against uh, the Browns. And then, you know, I think this game, um, you know, I think the Ravens were just a little bit too much for uh, the Texans overall. Um, they just weren't able to match up with them completely on, on defense. I mean, they hung around there in the first half, so it was a little bit interesting, but uh, the Ravens just had a little bit more juice there uh, in the uh, second half. And, um, 
gotta gotta give him credit though and of course the uh texans at the one touchdown that they did score was a, a punt return touchdown so you know it was even for the offense it was hard for them to uh score um outside of that one field goal that they had early in the game so yeah, the ravens of course you know i think they're the best team in the nfl uh currently um yeah, i think they defensively they've stood out the entire season um you know, offensively, of course, Lamar Jackson has just evolved his game, you know, beyond what he has done in the past. Uh, he's still running quarterback, but uh, he's balanced the running with uh, the passing and he's evolved his game to uh, be a more complete passer than he's ever been in his entire career. And, you know, I think you have to give a lot of credit to their offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin, of course, came from University of Georgia. So, um, you know, I think he's a really good offensive coach and definitely has extracted a lot out of him. And plus, you know, I think they've made a lot of investments in the wide receiver position this offseason. You know, talk about uh, Zay Flowers, they got in the draft, uh, OBJ uh, coming back after ACL injury, uh, of course. And, you know, they had uh, Mark Andrews in the regular season. He got injured uh, in that Thursday night game against the Bengals. Uh, but, they they had uh, Isaiah Likely uh, on there, who's really emerged as a second option in that offense, and of course, you know their their running backs as well, Justice Hill, Gus Edwards, uh, Lamar Jackson as well, when he's a running threat. So, really, for the Ravens, you know they just got to take care of business here uh, in the AFC Championship game uh, with the Chiefs. So, um, you know, I think uh, they they showed in this game that they're really dominant, and I think one of the worries of uh, this team was that with the bye week off that they would lose some of their momentum that they have had in the past and that they would, you know, lose in this game, uh, as the home, uh, the home host. We saw that before when, uh, 2019 playoffs, when Texan or the Titans came in and dominated them, but you know, they showed that they're the better team this time with the Texans. And you know, as a Jaguars fan, you brought it up. Uh, I will say that you know, I'm kind of glad that the Texans lost, um, not just cause that, they were, you know, just because I'm a Jaguars fan, but just just because, uh, you know, for Houston, you know, that I feel like, you know, Jaguars are definitely capable of making the playoffs and, you know, seeing the team that got in instead of us, you know, not making it past this round and losing where they should have lose. I, you know, I think think that's fair. So, um, you know, now I think uh, the question for the Texans is, can they su- uh, sustain this success beyond this season? Um, you know, are they going to be repeat champions in the division or, uh, you know, are they going to miss the playoffs like Jacksonville did this year or, you know, be relegated to a wild card contender? We'll have to see, but, you know, I think they have a better, a little bit better setup than Jacksonville. It looks like their offense is the type of offense that you want this, uh, in the NFL. Clearly the Shanahan offense, uh, has been dominating the NFL this year, uh, and last year. So, you know, I think that's the type of offense that you want. And plus, I, I have to say, you know, CJ Stroud's playing at a really high level and you can arguably say he's probably one of the top five QBs in this league. So, um, they still have a lot going for them, but you know, of course next year, Games have to be played, so we'll we'll see how it all turns out. Yeah, and he was a MVP. I mean, the MVP was wide open for a good amount of this season, and until C.J. Stroud got hurt, uh, there was an argument to you. There was an argument to be made that he was the MVP of the league as a rookie, uh, which is rare in in the NFL uh, to be a rookie player and to be that good that fast. And uh, yet again proves 
the stupidity of talent evaluators. I'm going to keep on saying it. I don't care because C.J. Stroud, they were the character assassination of the guy and basically saying he was an idiot um, because of some standardized test that they give out. Um, I mean, granted, he went to Ohio State and reading and being able to spell probably is not necessary at Ohio State, but I think C.J. Stroud can because obviously he's proven himself here. Um, but, you know, like uh, it's interesting how that all went down and they were trying to act like he wasn't capable. And then they were Bryce Young. They go and say, oh, well, he's good and he's he's no problem. He has a, he's going to be OK in the league. But then he looked like a bum the whole year. You know, like what is and I mean, we can make whatever argument probably. And I was talking about it with somebody yesterday where, you know, their bad organization, your bad team. There's everything was in a bad. So even somebody that has a former Heisman Trophy winner who has all those skills and intangibles was pretty ordinary this year. And then you have good coaching. You have a good organization, which is weird to say about the Houston Texans, but that's largely to do with um, D'Amico Ryans and his and his crew. A lot of guys that he brought over from the 49ers, um, Bobby Slowick, uh, Wes Welker, um, et cetera, et cetera. They set the tone, and um, that's, I mean, if anything else, like you brought up with how who's set up to kind of lead this division, uh, right now the Houston Texans arguably have the best coach in the division right now, and that's with a guy who won the Super Bowl in the past, you have a brand new coach that just was hired today with one of the teams. And then you have Shane Steichen, who's only coached one year and he was part of the Philadelphia Eagles last year or whatever, when they went to the Super Bowl. So there's not a whole lot there uh, to work off of there. Um, so it's wide open, but Houston's got potential. That division is going to be wide open. There's a lot of pieces that have to be, decided there for sure um and a lot of soul searching to be done uh but that's going to be an interesting division as we go on through the years and that rivalry hopefully that'll become a good quarterback rivalry between stroud and and trevor lawrence because they're both really elite talents and they've been elite talents for many years in their life so i think it would be it would only make sense if those two guys were able to have many great battles in in their games against each other but baltimore is on to the afc championship game and then they got to rest and the second game was the 49ers versus green bay uh that game probably took five years off of my life because how ugly it was um brock birdie had a rough night largely because of a at least the second or third example this year of being in a in a range situation and having a hard time throwing the ball. It happened in Cleveland. They lost. It happened against Baltimore at Christmas. They lost. And in this case, they were probably around six, seven minutes away from losing uh, to Green Bay. And uh, I think Green Bay, in a lot of ways, uh, handed, the, handed it back to them. Um, you know, Jordan Love played well for a good amount of the game, but in the fourth quarter, he turned into Brett Favre, um, turning the ball over inexplicably. 
you had Anders Carlson, who's been absolutely, he's been Jekyll and Hyde all year. And he's also a rookie kicker, just like Jake Moody. But the difference is he's had a lot more opportunities to kick and he has had a lot of big misses. And the kick that he missed uh, in the game on on Saturday was a momentum uh, shift, a big momentum shift. And um, 49ers answered and went down the field. Uh, Brock Purdy was able to go down the field, drive him. It doesn't hurt to have the guy who should be the MVP of the league, Christian McCaffrey, um, carrying the ball and um, being dominant as he is. Uh, They'll give it to Lamar Jackson, but honestly, Christian McCaffrey, you want to say who's the most valuable player. Kyle Shanahan treats him like a guy who's the most valuable player in the league, and it isn't a quarterback award, uh, even though they've made it one uh, for God knows how many years. Um Debo Samuel gets hurt early in the game, shoulder injury. It's 50-50 to see if he's going to play. Um, I mean, for as anything, just for him to be a decoy, just to go out there, it might be worth it. He may not catch the dang ball, but being out there would at least make them have to go and uh, send somebody over there. And that can open up the the lanes for Brandon Ayuk, who's had a quiet uh, last few weeks after a good um, good uh, stretch of games where he was looking like that guy, that number one receiver. Uh, things have quieted down a little bit for him. George Kittle gets another touchdown. Um, Kyle Shanahan's aversion to having George Kittle actually catch passes will always irritate me. Um, Kyle Shanahan's play calling irritates me constantly, even though he is the best coach the Niners have had since Jim Harbaugh because he's so conservative and I mean you this is the best quarterback you've had since you've been the coach yes he's having a rough night but let him get out of it he's capable people like Ryan Clark who are just hacks on TV shitting on Brock Purdy it's must be the new like flavor of the month to just shit on Brock Purdy because he's Mr. Irrelevant or he's a small guy or he went to Iowa State or whatever he's a hokey dude or I I mean you had quarterbacks yesterday and the day before that did not play well. And you had guys a week before that are supposedly elite quarterbacks that look like jack crap. And you're going to go and tell me Brock Purdy's a bum. Even though he set multiple records for the 49ers, he was in the mix, honestly and legitimately in the mix for the MVP until, you know, he dumped himself on Christmas. He he was an MVP candidate. But even in his words, he said, I'm I'm not the MVP pointed at Christian McCaffrey. And Christian McCaffrey literally pointed at him. But Debo, you want to see what kind of player he is and what kind of person he is. Debo Samuel's sitting out there going defending his boy. Christian McCaffrey is out there going and defending their guy. George Kittle goes out there and defends their guy. Trent Williams will go out there and defend his his quarterback and Trent Williams has been through plenty of quarterbacks because he used to play for the Washington General Commander Redskins and he knows what good quarterback play he knows what bad quarterback play is media half like subpar whatever middle of the road and what elite quarterback play is the Niners wouldn't be 
whatever, 12 and five without Brock Purdy. Um, they wouldn't have won 12 games with Sam Darnold. I don't care. Watching Sam Darnold play, uh, even in that game against Baltimore, you literally saw the good and bad of Sam Darnold in that game. You saw why people know he was a top prospect in college and he was recruited to USC and people thought he was going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. And then you also saw why the guy has now on his third team and he's a backup guy. Um, Brock Purdy has done everything that's been asked of him and he's played to a level necessary to carry this franchise, a franchise that is known for legendary quarterback play and elite quarterback play from guys showing up to this franchise. And now he's probably not he's the best quarterback the Niners have had since Jeff Garcia. But he's a bum. So I'm like, if he's a bum, then I'm I'm a bum too, I guess. A lot of us are bums if he's a bum, I got to say. Uh, if you're going to tell me, if you're going to write down the, the statistics he's had this year and say he's shitty, then there are a lot of shitty quarterbacks in the NFL. But... Hey, that's just me. I'm just a Niner fan. I'm just a biased Niner fan, whatever. Uh, but I will say, and I have said it, on his best night, this whole thing with throwing a wet ball, which considering he played in the Big 12, seems kind of weird to me. But maybe there's something there that he's always had that kind of deal with the wet ball. Um, that is a problem. But hopefully the weather cooperates on Sunday evening uh in Santa Clara and then they win and they're able to go to Vegas and there won't be a weather issue there because of course Allegiant Stadium is uh is a dome so um a retractable roof so um the the real concern for the Niners some of the is Debo Samuel's injury some of the other guys getting dinged up the defense was the, terrible against the run Aaron, Aaron uh, Aaron Jones was running all over him. I think he's still running. Uh, I mean, it, Jordan, it, I think if Jordan Love had done more with his legs, it might have been they might have put him away instead of throwing the ball because they were having so many issues like some of these wide receivers. But for a good amount of the game, too, he was able to do whatever he wanted as well, which, I mean, that's the whole thing. The, the rust was there on the defensive side of the ball, and personally I, I it made me ill watching that game because nothing was look nothing looked right and um it took Dre Greenlaw getting two picks um and trying to give everybody a heart attack while he was running all over the field sideways um to basically win that game uh Jake Moody made a big kick there which I mean the narrative about him missing big kicks he made one uh to give them a shot and Brock Purdy made a drive and broke a narrative. Of course, Shanahan had never come back from whatever deficit in the fourth quarter. Oh, and 30 in his career coach head coaching career. So now he's one and 30 and um, hopefully that's a sign of things to come. You know, the way they executed the offense on that final drive. Um, but green Bay played hard. They had a lot of momentum coming into this game and it speaks to getting hot at the right time the green bay packers did that um and for three quarters and change they were the better team honestly but jordan love also showed probably some of the uh gunslinger aspect of him of of his game 
and why they were the why they were in a position the position they were in that they backed in as a seven seed because they lost games because of bad decisions. And so, um, I mean, that's really what it is. I mean, Jordan Love's going to be their quarterback for the long term. They have a lot of potential there in Green Bay. But at the end of that game, Jordan Love looked like Brett Favre, Josh. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it offline after that game. I was telling you that uh, Jordan Love, with the interception that he threw, coming back across the field and throwing in the uh, opposite direction, looked very Favre-esque, the 2009 NFC Championship game. Uh, what Brett Favre did there and uh, throwing that game away, and that looked very similar to what uh, Jordan Love did. Uh, and, you know, it also brings up because uh, the reason why I say that also is because, you know, I think and especially as the Packers have started to have some success this year, uh, the announcers have compared his throwing mechanics to both Aaron Rodgers and uh, Brett Favre and how he throws the ball, how they kind of torque the ball or, or their body like in the in the air, their feet are off the ground while while they throw the ball. And it seems like Jordan Love seemingly has this trait, and this is a trait of Green Bay Porter uh, quarterbacks apparently. So um, I don't know if that's entirely true, but uh, I mean, I guess they've certainly drawn similarities uh, at least in the media has. So uh, I mean, I, I do think though that that pick though was very far esque and how he did that. And he, he has looked like a gunslinger. I mean, even uh, the game last week against the Cowboys, uh, the way he was throwing the ball looked very gunslinger like, so maybe he's developing that trait uh, in him and, you know, we'll see uh, how that goes. But yeah, for a lot of that game, it was, you know, very defensive and, uh, yeah, of course, uh, you know, Purdy, I mean, struggled in that game, of course, wet ball, uh, hard, you know, hard to throw. And, uh, in the middle of the third quarter, there was one throw where he, uh, he was readjusting his grip in the middle of his, uh, drop back. And that affected the timing of, uh, one throw that he missed on third down, uh, that would have been critical for them to pick up. Uh, and so that is definitely a, a factor there, but you, know, you talk about the criticism around Brock Purdy or, uh, and some of the, you know, naysayers that have, uh, you know, said things about, uh, Purdy and saying he's not a really good quarterback and everything and all that. Well, I mean, there's plenty of throws where on third down or even second down and Plus, where he had uh, a lot of pressure in his face, and he was able to stand tall in the pocket and make make the hard throw, and um, it, you know it looked like at least second or third option, or just waiting for his guy to get open, uh, and you know he was able to complete the throw, of course. But then, you know, on the other hand, there were other plays where he would follow up those big time throws and uh, misfire on the same situation, so. Uh, you know, there was, there was some inconsistency, but I'm, you know, I don't think it's because he's, you know, Brock or Brock Purdy, I think, you know, just the weather and stuff. So yeah, I think for Purdy, it's, uh, you know, this is, it's his time here now in the, the NFC championship game continue to prove the doubters wrong here and that he can actually be a, a good quarterback. And, you know, I think, I think part of the, you know, stuff that's been said against him is just cause, um, the quarterbacks, I guess the system, they want to say he's a system quarterback because the Shanahan uh, offense is very quarterback friendly. Uh, they're loaded with talent on, on the offense. You know, Brandon Ayuk, you have Debo Samuel, you have uh, George Kittle, 
you have uh, Christian McCaffrey at running back. Um, you have, you know, even Jawan Jennings, who had some pretty good uh, catches uh, throughout that game in replacement for Debo Samuel. I mean, even all pro wide receiver Chris Conley uh, made his one catch in the last uh, couple of years there. Um you know, so you have all these guys that are talented and makes the quarterback um, in other situations, maybe look, makes him look better than who he is. But yeah, you know, I think Purdy this year has proven that he can go out and execute the system. You know, they've had, you know, they had last year a film on him and, you know, plus the Shanahan offense, you know, they had several years of film on that. So, you know, I mean, there's been a few games where he looked bad, but you know, I think it was also because of injuries and offensive line struggling go back to the Ravens game, the offensive line struggled in that game. So, uh, you know, I think that's going to be the key for, for them, uh, in this game against the lions. I think the offensive line is going to determine the game for the 49ers, but I, I think, think they'll be able to uh, tough it out and everything. And, uh, so, you know, we'll see. And then on, on defense, I mean, they, they were able to stop the, uh, Packers, you know, where they needed them to, um, you know, of course, uh, Packers, uh, you know, had some chances. Um, Aaron Jones, I think he, Aaron Jones is about to have a 90 yard touchdown run. And every time they have 90 yard touchdown, like you know, when they start on the 10, they have a big long run. I get, I get really tense because I know Fred Taylor's record is up, up for grabs at that point. So, you know, again as Jags fan want to see that record live as long as possible and maybe maybe only if a Jaguars running back like ETN or somebody else I they'll be allowed to break that record or um somebody like or former Florida Gator or something like that but um you know uh when it always was like uh, another playoff game where the 90 yard run stays intact so I uh, get to keep that one for a little bit longer but uh uh yeah they they had a missed field goal and everything so um just a yeah just a lot of uh missed opportunities down the stretch for the packers but they could have made upsets so there's that so there's still still a worthy opponent that i think we'll have to worry about you know the nsc north for uh many many years to come but 49ers you know just one step closer to uh their ultimate goal which is the super bowl and getting that elusive super bowl uh sixth uh, Lombardi trophy that they have been chasing since the 1994 or after. Yeah. It was 1994 season. Uh, last time they won it. Um, a team that had been chasing a playoff win since 1991 was the Detroit lions. And they were able to stand up and get a win in the wild card weekend against the LA Rams on Sunday night football avenge um that trade in a sense where jared goff was a was basically a throw-in while matthew stafford went and went the other way and won a super bowl with the rams uh the lions get that win and then they go and host the tampa bay buccaneers former they made that it's true they used to be in the central division together uh for many years the lions and the bucks and it was a pretty pretty interesting game. Uh, you know, you had both sides of Baker Mayfield there. He made great throws to Mike Evans in what might be his last game as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Uh, you look like the guy that, you know, the elite talent that Mike Evans has been basically from the start of his career. 
other guys were making plays uh, here and there. Um, the defense at times was was effective, but the, I mean the injuries started to catch up to them. The Jamel Dean injury, I think, was a big uh, change. That was a game changer because uh, he was able to go and keep uh, the likes of Josh Reynolds. You know, the kind of keep Sam Laporta. Uh, you know controlled a bit i mean sam laporta seemed to be able to catch the ball and get open like travis kelsey um and uh and in the injury i don't know how severe it is at the moment but he said i think they reported he's like using heating pads when he's on the sideline so it's nowhere near 100 percent, and he's still able to make his cuts and and get open uh which is a scary thought if they actually can make the big game and they give them two weeks of rest, uh, how that could be. But um, golf was effective. The whole game was basically throwing darts to whoever he wanted to. In the end, he got it to Amon Ross St. Brown when it counted. Um, but he was – and Jameer Gibbs. Uh, I mean, people were railing against the Lions draft in April, and you had Jameer Gibbs, you had Campbell, you had – uh, all these guys that are rookies falling out. And in the end, Dan Campbell uh, is leading this organization as a coach, and they have uh, their GM. They have they have a, a great combination there, and it's a combination that I think is going to have long-term stability because you think about when the last time they had won a playoff game until these last two games here – and they had Wayne Fonts back in those days, and he was around for a long time. And that, like, the leadership structure was there for a long time. And that that cultivated winning, um, not maybe not to the level that they probably should have when you had one of the greatest, if not the greatest running back ever lived in Barry Sanders. But, you know, they had a lot of great players on that team, an offensive lineman, elite offensive lineman, yet an elite wide receiver duo back in the day so now they have they have an elite wide receiver and Amon Ross St. Brown they have elite tight end and Sam Laporta you have a quarterback who is playing probably the best he's ever played in his career and he has been to a Super Bowl too um, but this is his offense he's able to dictate this offense he's got full control um, the whole narrative about you know is he a system quarterback that's what people thought when he was playing for um, McVay and McVay didn't really let him play release the hound, so to speak, with Jared Goff. Um, and that's why, like, they put Stafford in there and he's able to go and kind of have the full, uh, full amount of that offense. But let's be fair, the whole, the whole entire effing Rams offense is throw to Cooper Cup, anyways. It only, it took Puka Nakua coming around this year for him to throw to somebody else that isn't Cooper Cup. Um, but Detroit went out there, won that game. There are holes in their defense that can be exposed, uh, especially in the secondary. Um, they're vulnerable there on the back end. Defensive line is pretty solid, though. And um, you have Aiden Hutchinson on the one side, and he's he's really tough. He's in the same mold, albeit from the rival of where Nick Bosa comes from, but uh, he's a really tough player. So that'll be an interesting battle uh, if he gets 
put on the the right side and he's able to go against the right side of the 49ers line and uh have have a clear path to Brock Purdy how that'll work out um but i mean for Detroit going out there winning that game the crowd was electric the game was pretty close i mean it was close for a good amount of it but to be fair and Tampa fought the whole time so it shows you know for uh, um Todd Bowles for his coaching and the way that they believe in each other, uh, the team showed up in a tough spot and were able to stand up for a good amount of the game. But when it came down to it, I think the crowd and the injuries were too much and Baker had to force the ball and that was the end of it. And uh, But I think Baker Mayfield is probably uh, their quarterback, at least for now. I think Tampa Bay will sign him back. Um, because what are they, they're not going to Kyle Trask. And that division, as it stands right now, is basically wide open. They've won it the division the last two years, and they're in a position where if they can continue to build uh, and and build some depth, they could go and repeat, uh, get three consecutive uh, division titles, because the Saints don't really have a identity. The Falcons don't have a coach or GM. And then the Carolina Panthers are one of the worst teams in in all of sports right now. So Tampa has an opportunity there, even in the in the aftermath of Tom Brady. But uh, that game was really about Detroit and their fans and being at Ford Field. And Dan Campbell's crew goes out there, gets that victory, and they're going to be going to Santa Clara so the next Sunday evening for the NFC Championship game, Josh. Yeah, the Lions... They've had a solid team all year. Uh, they've been one of the teams that have been able to prove when uh, the doubters were up against them. Um, they've had a couple of blemishes this year, but they've recovered and been able to go on this uh, this run here. Of course, last week, uh, they got out to kind of a fast start against the Rams, uh, but then they held on to the end, and they were able to get that win uh, over Matthew Stafford. Uh, going up against his former team there, and then uh, you know this week, kind of a back and forth affair early uh, with the uh, the Buccaneers and Baker Mayfield, but then you know towards the end of the game they got out to a two score lead, uh, and they were able to uh, hold on at the end. Uh, you know, late on in that game, the, uh, the Buccaneers got a late touchdown, uh, but they were unable to get the two point conversion. So that still made the game, uh, kind of close there. Uh, and then, you know, Baker had one more chance uh, to go down the field, but he threw an interception. So, uh, you know, the bucks, uh, it looked like, you know, it looked like that they just didn't have as much, uh, on offense to be able to go down and, uh, keep the game close. Um, you know, once, once the game got away from them, you know, you could tell, that uh, they were struggling uh, to stay in it, uh, still fighting hard, but you know it was definitely going to be a lot of work. Whereas the the Rams, Jared Goff uh, was just able to continue to uh, make throws down the field, you know, make, making throws to Josh Reynolds, making throws to uh, Laporta, Amon Ross, St. Brown, of course, and then Jameer Gibbs just able to continue running uh, along with David Montgomery, who I, I think a lot of people forgot about because uh, just because uh, Jameer Gibbs being so good uh, and not even being the starter. So um, that's a good uh, running back one-two tandem 
uh, here in this league, which, you know, is seemingly not as common uh, anymore. But uh, definitely those two backs have been really good uh, in this game. Of course, defensively, you got uh, Brian Branch, of course, uh, and Aiden Hutchinson on defense. Uh, so, you know, they've really got a good uh, defensive line there in, uh, in Detroit. And that's that's going to be an issue for the 49ers, but yeah, I think they're going to hold on. But, um, you know, the Lions, they were able to get pressure on Baker Mayfield throughout that game. You know, Baker had a couple of throws that avoided the pressure, but, you know, in the end, I think he just wasn't able to stay as protected as what he needed to be. And uh, Jared Goff, uh, you know, was able to stay relatively clean throughout that game. But, uh, you know, it was a close game in the second or the first half, but, you know, the second half, they just pulled away from them there. So, um, you know, the Lions, the dream season continues. And now we get to see if uh, they'll move on and get to the Super Bowl. Um, obviously, they're the one team that's never been to the Super Bowl. So now uh, we'll see if uh, they can make finally make their first ever appearance. And there would be plenty of fans in Detroit from Detroit losing their shit if that happened. Uh, whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It might be the... Um... There'd be like that movie with the, I'm forgetting the name of the movie, The Hangover. Yeah. It might be the, uh, uh, like, just like The Hangover, if Detroit somehow or another, uh, if they're able to go out there and beat the Niners on the road uh, and get to the Super Bowl. So after all of that, we get to the last game, uh, a rivalry that has existed over the past few years, not just in the postseason. But in the regular season, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Buffalo Bills and uh, Bills hosting uh, Kansas City and Kermit the Frog, uh, Travis Kelsey and his girlfriend showing up there, uh, Jason Kelsey going tops in the in the in the suite um, after one of the first touchdown that Travis scored. Um, it was an interesting game. It was a back and forth game for a good amount of it. Uh, it was, uh, I, I think Buffalo in the end, they were leading at halftime, but the momentum sh- shifted at the start of the second half with Kansas city, basically driving down the field with ease. And that might've been the best, the uh, Kansas city offense has looked all year. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, Kermit the Frog, looking like the two-time MVP and Super Bowl, two-time Super Bowl champion and face of the league that he is, um, being able to get the ball out to different people. MVS had a solid game. Uh, Kelsey looked like he was awake for the first time in months. Um, even with some of the issues on the offensive line that have been in it, that have been there the whole year, the uh, when you have a guy like Isaiah Pacheco who runs like an absolute battering ram and a wrecking ball, uh, that's going to be hard to stop. And Buffalo really had no answer for the running game of the chiefs. And then when you add Kermie there too, doing what he does, uh, it's a bad, bad situation. Buffalo started losing players. They only suited up four linebackers. One of them went down. Uh, Secondary started having issues too. You can't have anything going wrong against Kermit the Frog and and expect to get away with it, or Andrew Ryad, the way they call a game. And 
in the end, uh, the Kansas City defense has been the the better half of the team for the majority of this year, and they showed up late in the game and held uh, Josh Allen down. He had a solid game. He scored three touchdowns, uh, but he missed a couple throws that were that he should make or would make in most situations. Uh, he also some of the decisions they were making. And Sean McDermott made, especially like when he did the fake punt in the fourth quarter, that was ill-advised. There was a fumble uh, that uh, went out of bounds that that Kansas City had gotten that ball. They probably would have put the game away. There was a Michael Hardman uh, uh, deal where he fumbled the ball and it went out of the end zone and it became a touchback or else that would have game away the reality was for kansas city it i mean kansas city and buffalo they played that for a good amount of this game it was back and forth but when it counted what usually happens happened and it's not it was it wasn't surprising it's pretty sad um if you're somebody who supports buffalo like professor jay um, there was one dude that was crying. People are getting off on that with the meme and all, but you know, if you're a Buffalo, they're talking about tortured franchises, tortured fan bases in sports. Uh, Buffalo is definitely one of them. And now it used to be they couldn't get over the hump in the Super Bowl. Now they can't get over the hump against Kermit the Frog, and um, that's no, that is something that until they do that. It really doesn't matter. Josh Allen can be an elite player. He is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, But I think also they got hot late in the season, like Green Bay. But in this game, you also saw why they were in the position that they needed to get hot and basically win out to get to this spot Um, with the holes that they have and the fact that Sean McDermott is, I think, has run his course as the head coach. I and I think Joe Brady. I said it on here weeks ago that when they get rid of Sean McDermott, uh, which I think is more likely now, um, I think they would hire Joe Brady and make him the head coach um, because the way the offense looks, and if they're able to make additions and solidify their offensive line, that offense was at at a level that it probably hasn't been for a while. And Josh Allen is very comfortable in it. So I think that's what they would do. Um, I heard the rumor on NFL radio earlier today that would would the Buffalo Bills consider Bill Belichick? Now that would be pretty uh, scary. The Pagulas have seen Belichick for all these years in New England. He's a guy that wants a quarterback, needs a quarterback. He can deal with egos like Stefan Diggs and Von Miller. He there are there is talent on that defense, so it's it's a kind of a ready-made situation with a rich owner that wants to win and trying to fade Patrick Mahomes. He's one of the only people that's ever been able to beat Patrick Mahomes. Uh, it also, of course, helped that he had Tom Brady. But um, it's we got to see with that for sure what Bill Belichick is going to go do. But that's something that was interesting. But in the end, though. Kermy did Kermy things, and uh, he's going to Baltimore to try to win a second road game. Had never played on the road in the playoffs. Goes to Buffalo, 
snowballs being thrown at his head, Taylor Swift and the and his and Kermie's wife and and Jason Kelsey's wife, they're all sitting in that that uh, um, you know suite, uh, all celebrating, and they're going to Baltimore, and uh, we'll see how they get treated down there. Yeah, you bring up uh, the Kelseys and. Uh, Taylor Swift and all that stuff and I'll say I mean Jason Kelsey hopping out of the uh, suite with his beer shirtless that was pretty funny to watch uh, that play out and he went and interacted with some of the fans too I think he was a little bit selective on which fans he was interacting with I don't really think you want to get too chummy there with the Buffalo people but uh, you know that was pretty funny to see that take place but the game itself um, I think the Buffalo Bills they just defensively they just ran out of gas uh towards the end of the game they've had injuries as of late on that side of the ball and i think that really hurt them uh being able to stop the running game for the uh, kansas city chiefs i think you know with pacheco back there and even clyde edwards hilaire back there as well they made a, a lot of uh good runs being able to stay balanced uh there and of course uh mahomes was able to connect with kelsey down uh, deep down the field like they haven't been able to for a while and uh, we saw that with uh, Kelsey getting his touchdowns throughout that game uh, and then of course uh, Rashid Rice as well coming through for uh, Mahomes and becoming a receiving option that's actually reliable for him unlike uh, Tony or uh, Sky Moore there so yeah for for the Chiefs um, you know Mahomes able to kind of take what the defense was giving him throughout that game and able to take shots down the field. Uh, and they were able to win, of course, uh, that touchdown or fumble that could have been a touchdown with uh, Nicole Hardman's going to uh, have a lot of people talking. Of course, people uh, talking today on social media, I think, whether uh, that should be changed. And, um, I mean, I don't think you should change that penalty. I think if you fumble out of the end zone or in the end zone and hits the pylon, that should be a touchback. That shouldn't just go automatically back to the uh, offense that fumbled the ball there. I think that that's a pretty clear rule. I don't really know why people would want to change that, but um, I you know, I think uh, the league, league shouldn't look at that and try to attempt the rules change, but I'm sure that they're going to think, oh, well, the offense should have another chance. Well, I mean, the end zone's the end zone. That should be protected, and I think that should be held as, uh, you know, if you make a mistake there, you should get punished for it. So uh, I think, yeah, that's how it should be. But, you know, on the other end, Josh Allen fumbled uh, there on fourth, on third down to make it fourth and three, and um, Chiefs almost got it. That could have been a game over there. So multiple chances for the Chiefs to go up by another touchdown and, go up by 10 in that game and they they couldn't do it but they they held on defensively um Josh Allen I think played a really good game but you know, at the same time I think his some of his receivers you know in particular uh Stefan Diggs I think I think he's cooked uh you know he had one play where Josh Allen threw it deep down the field and I think would have been the third longest pass in terms of air yards thrown this season but uh Diggs couldn't come up with it even though and he had it in his hands and you know for all the talking he does and all that stuff um hasn't really been able to produce as of late uh so i don't know maybe rc can go call him a bum or something like that uh there maybe he'll do it on the pivot or first take or something but you know, he's definitely cooked and there's another play where uh josh allen threw towards the end zone and stefan diggs was open on the uh drag route uh you know in, in that game so uh 
he was wide open there and he pats him up for the harder throw down the field and might show some disconnect uh, between those two guys. So, you know, it's kind of interesting to see how that plays out. But I, I thought that was interesting because it was looking like the play was drawn up for the drag route uh, to Stefan Diggs there, but he took the harder option. And of course, that didn't go through. And then you know, later on in the same drive, uh, they missed the field goal there, which, you know, pretty shocking for, um, you know, but a very familiar ending for Buffalo fans there. So, and then of course they, they couldn't stop and he was technically still in it, but they couldn't stop uh, Pacheco there uh, on defense uh, to close that game out. So um, yeah, unfortunate for the bills. And I think the other thing you have to consider is that their window for making deep playoff runs might be shut here, you know, with uh, digs and that contract, they're like 50 million over the cap just with digs and, uh, Von Miller alone uh, for next year. So they're definitely have to make some restructuring there and they might have to consider cutting uh, Von Miller and uh, Stefan Diggs there. So uh, to get, get off of those contracts. So, um, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it goes to the future for the bills, but you know, a lot of, a lot of people were talking about online uh, the bills, their future kind of mirroring the 06, 09 chargers uh, and their run. And then after you know, that season, they, they fell off pretty hard for a few years. So that might be what's in store for the Bills coming up next. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, it's something that we're going to have to see, you know, with with uh, your Jaguars. We talked about it a few weeks ago in the aftermath of that um, situation. But with Buffalo losing three consecutive years uh, to the um, or three out of the last four, whatever it is, to Kansas City, and not really having answers and they keep on running it back the same way you can't do that and the cap the cap situation definitely is a big one um stefan diggs also with his his ego and attitude um it has been a it's been a problem in the past it's part of why he was sent out of minnesota um maybe it's not just the contract it'll be the it'll be that the that disconnect as you mentioned josh that will go and see stefan diggs go somewhere else which um i mean obviously even if he's theoretically washed there are teams that would take stefan diggs uh even at whatever 85 percent of what he is like being at around 85 percent instead of what he was at his peak uh depth at the wide receiver position is a problem for them though um, they do need a number one if that happens, but Khalil Shakir uh, really showed out uh, in the end of the season, the later part of the season, and he looks like a guy who they could build around as like a number two, a solid number two, but he plays hard. Uh, he is somebody, and then you have um, Kincaid, who we're talking about great tight ends. There are so many of them, uh, you know, GK, you had uh what is it you're talking about baltimore with andrews is probably going to be coming back for the afc championship game the the elite tight ends then you have two rookie tight ends who are trying to go and get into that mix too in sam laporta and uh dalton kincaid and i mean it's showing like there's like a and whether it's because of tight end U, which is the University of Iowa, whether it's because of uh, tight end U, which is George Kittle and Travis Kelsey, whatever, it looks like the position is having a a, a resurgence or a rebirth. 
with all of these elite players there. Um, and for Buffalo, he has been a big part of uh, a safety blanket for Josh Allen and somebody that they're going to have to be, they were going to build around, I think, in terms of their offense. Um, the running game kind of went away. I think James Cook needs like a bounce. They need to balance out James Cook with somebody that might be a power runner. Um, you know, they had playoff Lenny there, but he didn't even play yesterday. And I think that would have made a difference. Uh, that kind of grinding runner person who's been there before um, and has been in those big, uh, been able to play in those big games. I think that would have made a big difference in the game. I, I mean, would it have helped them win? I don't know, but I think having somebody like that out there would have been good uh, for sure. Um, but we will see what happens with all of that um, as we go along. And so the the matchups are set. AFC Championship going to be on first. Uh, Kansas City will go to Baltimore. And then the NFC Championship games after that, it'll be Detroit going to San Francisco, Santa Clara, to play at Levi's uh, Stadium for a right to go to Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. So Las Vegas continuing the big, uh, like, last few months with a lot of action. You know, the Las Vegas with the Las Vegas Grand Prix and then the Super Bowl. So big time for that for Las Vegas. All right. So uh, move forward to the racing part, which, of course, is why we have this show to begin with. Uh, We'll start with the Dakar Rally. Um, Carlos Sainz Sr., not the smooth operator, his son, uh, though, Carlos Sainz, to be fair, is senior is a smooth operator because now he's won yet another Dakar in what is the last time that Audi will be racing, at least for now, in this race with the uh, electric e-tron um, uh, car there. And and he, uh, I mean, we're going to car, yeah, ultimate, pro, yeah, so in the Audi, he wins the overall by or with the in the he wins over uh Demevious. Sebastian Loeb finishes third and I mean it was pretty mixed up the finishing order. You, know, you have their Janil de Villiers finish sixth in the in the uh prototype cross country car category, former winner of this race, Lucas Marias eighth in that class. I'm trying to go look through here. Uh, yeah, so Seth Quintero ended up 26th. The American uh, making his debut as a factory Toyota driver had a lot of issues um, in terms of uh, for during the race. And he um, as it got penalized for, he got penalized for, uh, 54 hours, uh, nearly 55 hours of penalties, uh, but finished ahead of the Ford, the two Ford factory drivers, Nanny Roma and Gareth Woolridge. So, I mean, at least he did that. Uh, in the motorcycle category, which is the class that, uh, you know, stands out. Also, Ricky Brabeck gets his second Dakar rally win by 10 minutes, 53 seconds over Ross Branch. Adrian Van Beveren finished third, defending race winner, or 12th 
minutes 25 seconds behind defending race winner kevin benavides finished fourth toby price was fifth so um nacho cornejo uh teammate to brayback finished sixth luciano benavides the world champion in rally raid finished seventh the brother of kevin uh daniel sanders svitko Michek. Uh, round out the top 10 in the bikes in the quads manuel anduhar gets the victory there in rally two harith noah the indian rider wins by four minutes 57 seconds over roman dumontier and then bradley cox who was 628 behind so great to see uh indian rider first time ever win in the in the Dakar rally so that's a big history making uh, event there Matthew Matthew Seridori for century racing wins the 4 by 2 cars category uh Layla Sands gets on the podium you know, the uh, Coronels finish 6th in that class um in terms of yes that's only Lightweight prototype class, Christina Gutierrez wins her class. So big uh, credit to her as she moves. She'll be moving up to the uh, prototype cross-country car category next year to be teammates with um, with uh, uh, Nasser Alatia and uh, Sebastian Loeb. So the big deal for her, she drives for X44 in uh, Extreme E. Uh, she won over Americans, Mitchell Guthrie and Kellen Walk by 36-46. Austin Jones, another American, uh, he was up there for a good amount of the race. He finished fifth uh, ranking. Was, yeah, he finished fifth over in that class. And then... Yeah, I don't know that. You know, go through there. Go through the Challenger did that. In SSV, uh, Xavier de Soltra for Sebastian Loeb's team gets the win by 2 minutes 25 seconds over de Satellier. Um Sarah Price won the last stage in her class first time in a long time a woman has won a stage and uh so it was a big deal for her she finished the race she was trying to win the race and got into issues on the next to last stage uh lost a lot of time she was within 10 minutes of the lead had a real chance to win but forced the issue and not only lost a chance to win but fell off of the podium uh, but she gets a fourth place uh, in class. She wins the final stage, and her boyfriend wins the Dakar for a second time. So a lot to celebrate for both of them uh, as they have now come back to America um, to after their their journey at the Dakar. In um, other motorsports, the Super Motocross class. Yeah, super motocross class. Uh, trying to go and move that motocross dude. Yeah. The uh, recap: Aaron Plessinger takes his first 450 class victory in at San Diego, and uh, rain a uh, rain race for a second race in a row. Uh, 
It's a big deal for uh, Aaron Plessinger to finally get that win. Um, Cooper Webb finishes second in the 450 class. Third place was Justin Barsha. Nate Thrasher wins in the 250 class West region. And um, Monster was it Jordan Smith or Garrett Marchbanks and Jordan Smith rounded out the podium there for uh, both classes we talk about. So the points, the uh, points right now, Plessinger with his win takes the points lead by one over Chase Sexton, so he'll get the red plate. Um, Jet Lawrence is four, is third, uh, four points behind. Uh, those are the three winners so far this season. Jason Anderson, Cooper Webb, Dylan Ferrandis all tied for fourth at 49 points. Eli Tomac in seventh, uh, 12 points behind Aaron Plessinger. Uh, Rocks in 18 back, Justin Barsha 20 back um, in in ninth place. In the 250 category, uh, Jordan Smith has the lead right now, uh, but it's only the West currently. So Jordan Smith leads by eight points over Levi Kitchen, 10 over Garrett Marchbanks. Uh, RJ Hampshire is in fourth, and those are the riders that are kind of in um in the mix currently and then they're going to uh they're going to the the for the next race they will be at anaheim for anaheim uh two so they'll be there for anaheim two this weekend before they get out east for the first first race of the east half of this schedule for the 250s but then also the first east coast race will be at ford field so uh, another great event for the fans there to get into the Supercross at Detroit uh, here in a couple weeks' time. In terms of other news, uh, you have Simon Pagino uh, talking about his health. Uh, I don't believe we're ready for, and and then he's not sure if he will be be back. He'll be back behind the wheel. Uh, wants to make sure he's fully healthy. It has a lot of the same sounds of what happened to Kurt Busch, uh, unfortunately, which is sad to hear and see for a guy who is a former IndyCar champion and Indianapolis 500 winner. You know, you got other things about how uh, with uh, uh, Formula One, Gene Haas being embarrassed at the results when Gene Haas is the owner of the team at the end of the day, he's the one at the buck stops with him and he kept everything the same for years and years and thought things will change. Uh, sounds like what he was doing with his NASCAR team and to be fair, part of what he's doing with his NASCAR team. Now, uh, Ducati, uh, they, they revealed their liveries for the new year and also the Grassini team, which will have the Marquez brothers, uh, racing together, uh, they had that. Um, they showed that. So the Mark Marquez uh, trying to get back into his winning ways. There, um, looking through some of these other. Hot at the priority because they're trying to prepare for 2026 to go and power the Aston Martin team. Yeah, the Saudis are gonna get into. 
uh, electric motorsport, not just Formula E, but Extreme E. So that'll be something to see how that all works out with the endless amounts of money that they have there. Um, trying to go through, yeah. Ed Carpenter Racing gets uh, sponsorship from Guy Care to sponsor their number 20 car, which will be split between um, Ed Carpenter on the ovals and Christian Rasmussen on the road course as the Indy Lights champion, uh, or Indy Next champion, sorry. Um, I'll, I'll always call it Indy Lights because I come from that time anyway. And um, the NASCAR Hall of Fame induction took place last week, so Jimmy Johnson, Chad Knauson, Donnie Allison uh, officially... Uh, inducted their picture with uh, the Alabama gang, the three remaining members, uh, living members of the Alabama gang, uh, which is uh, Donnie Allison, Bobby Allison, and Red Farmer. That's a cool picture. Jimmy and Chad basically going and uh, thanking each other and crediting each other uh, for part of why they became one of the greatest driver crew chief combinations in the history of uh, motorsport history of nascar in general so uh let me go through some of that other stuff there nothing there in terms of nascar uh john hunter nemechek bringing some of his personal sponsors over to legacy bush light revealing their first of multiple schemes they'll have with ross chastain cody ware who uh josh was able to see at the roar because he was racing in the VP Racing Challenge in an LMP3. Uh, I was looking to come back and share the 15 car with Kaz Grala, who's going to run the majority of the season in that car. Uh, with Shane Van Gisbergen coming over here, the next person that has got a lot of interest, especially from RCR, is Brody Kostecki, the V8 Supercars champion, who beat Shane Van Gisbergen for that title. Um he, on the other hand, is going to wait a little while, and I think probably it's in the same realm where if uh, he can go and run off some championships, win a Bathurst 1000 or two, then he'll probably come here in his mid-30s the same way as uh, SVG. And trying to do it earlier because Marcus Ambrose was older when he came over, and he did the he did the full build-up. He ran... He spent time in trucks. He spent time in Xfinity before he eventually got to the Cup Series. And uh, in the end, of course, he was uh, really a, a, as tough as anybody on a road course. But even Marcus Ambrose, for as talented as he was, um, wasn't able to win an oval race. Um, Juan Pablo Montoya wasn't able to win an oval race. I mean, A.J. Allmendinger took him how many years? to finally win an oval race and that was an xfinity um so i think as much as anything can svg finally break that that uh duck and get an oval win um if he get once he gets in a cup that would be the the major hurdle or battle um pass that some of these great road racers of our time haven't been able to do uh got from that up yeah so that's that for um the nascar um wanted to run it run back for a second there i forgot about mentioning this um uh the coaching 
uh, situation. Yeah, so that's so coaching and GM hires. Uh, the Chicago or Carolina Panthers have hired former Panther player and somebody who's been involved in their front office for last few years, Dan Morgan, the linebacker. He's now going to be president of football operations and their GM. Um, Chicago's going to hire former Seattle offensive coordinator Shane Waldron to the same position um, to go and be yet another offensive coordinator for Justin Fields if they keep Justin Fields. Um, Browns hiring former Alabama offensive coordinator and former quarterback uh, Tommy Rees as their new tight ends coach. Um, not like non-executives uh, news, Zach Ertz is being signed or been signed by the Lions. So it sounds like he's going to be playing in the NFC Championship game, uh, trophy hunting Zach Ertz. Uh, if they're able to get through and win the game against the Niners, go to the Super Bowl and possibly get a second Super Bowl ring. Uh, Frank Ragnow, he got hurt there in that game. Jonah Jackson, the center, and then Jonah Jackson, the guard, uh, hurt his knee pretty bad to the point where he's not going to play um, in this weekend's NFC Championship game. Uh, Jacksonville, which, um, Josh, you can go and uh, give us uh, some details on Atlanta. Former Falcons assistant coach Ryan Nielsen, um, defensive coordinator there. Um, yeah. Philly, yeah. I mean, I'll, Atlanta. I'll, yeah, I'll get through these, uh, the rest of this. There's only a couple other things here. Yeah, Philly's going to hold a press conference with Roseman and Sirianni. Uh, they're going to run it back with that duo. Um, Roseman's a ball licker, uh, licks Jeffrey Lurie's sack the same way as, um, uh, Cashman or Cashman licks, uh, Hal Steinbrenner's balls or the other way around. I'm not really sure which way it works, but that seems to be the thing. And Sirianni is going to come back, which, uh, for good or bad, it might <laughs> end up blowing the team up in the process, which would be great. Um, Tennessee, I mentioned Brian Callahan, the offensive former Bengals offensive coordinator, is going to be hired as their head coach. So big uh, decision by Amy uh, Strunk Adams or Adam Strunk uh, to go and get rid of Mike Vrabel. And now they're going to hire Brian Callahan, who even in the absence of Joe Burrow was able to take Browning. And they were very run a dynamic offense uh, there in Cincinnati. So now he's going to bring that uh, talent over to Tennessee. And whether it's Will Levis, whether it's uh, some other quarterback, uh, he's going to be going and implementing that offense there um, in a, what is a, we talked about earlier, is a wide open division in the AFC South. But speaking of the AFC South, Josh, you're. Uh, Jaguars hired Ryan Nielsen from the Falcons. What do you know about him, and how do you feel about said hire? And um, is there any other news in terms of the coaching staff or other moves that might be coming along the pike for the Jags? Yeah, so I saw that news earlier today. Ryan Nielsen from 
the Atlanta Falcons defensive coordinator. Um, I mean, I think it's a pretty solid hire based on everything that I've seen uh, from Jaguars Twitter community and uh, the reporters saying it's a you know very good hire and uh, they hired the the right guy there. So uh, sounds like he's a good guy based on what he's able to do uh, defensive line wise. Uh, Cam Jordan gave him some very good reviews saying uh, how good of a coach he was and um, how he's able to generate pass rushers, whether he has the actual pass rushing talent or um, he's just got whatever he has to work with on the roster. So uh, that's, uh, you know, very good considering Cam Jordan's one of the uh, best pass rushers in the league over the past decade. Um, the fans seem to, seem to like it. Um, you know, based on his picture, he looks like he's been through it. So <laughs> his, his face looks like he's, you know, seen some things that, nobody should ever see so it looks like he he's the type of guy who should be a defensive coordinator so um based on that it sounds like it's going to be a good hire and um sounds like a lot of man defense which might have to change up some things scheme wise um can you know curious to see how it's going to affect uh Trayvon Walker I think Trayvon Walker is going to have a really good uh season he's had a couple good seasons now with uh you know, this last year is pretty good for him. So now, uh, you know, with him coming in, I wonder if he can get more out of Trayvon and how, how are they going to use him? Uh, you know, if he's going to develop some more pass rushing moves right now, kind of just kind of stuck in his bull rush uh, type playing style. I haven't really seen too many uh, spin moves or any, you know, moves to get off the uh, block or whatever to get to the quarterback. So, uh you know, curious to see how that goes, but um, I think good hire there. Uh, one thing you should note is uh, this was actually a Trent Balky, uh, from what I'm understanding. This is a Trent Balky decision to hire, uh, or who not decision, but who Trent Balky favored in the defensive uh, coaching search. And uh, from the rumors that I'm understanding, it looks like uh, Peterson wanted uh, Marquette Manuel from the Texans or the J- Jets, the Jets. Uh, yeah, the safeties coach on the Jets, who's a uh, same type of defense that was ran here in 2017, 2016, and before with Bob Sala, of course, linebackers coach on the Jaguars back then, uh, and that scheme from the uh, Gus Bradley uh, scheme and Pete Carroll scheme, which is very, very player dependent uh, there to make that work. You need a all-star defense to make it work, which we saw 2017. Of course, the Seahawks made that scheme work for many years. Uh, with uh, Earl Thomas as the ball hawk safety there and a good pass rush and kind of what we saw at the Cowboys. So, you know, it's a very scheme. It's a good scheme that requires uh, players to be really good. And and if you don't have good enough players and talent, maybe that's not uh, so much the case as what we saw in many of those years in Jacksonville uh, with Gus Bradley and uh, the fall apart after 2017 and all that. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what we're looking for here in Jacksonville, get a good defensive coordinator here. So let's get the ball rolling here um, and everything. And um, yeah, with, I guess, yeah, with Peterson versus Balky there, it does look like there's a bit of a power struggle there based on uh, what it sounds like. But I mean, Hey, I mean, Trent Balky picked a good guy or desired good guy, however you want to word that. So um, it's not like every hire or uh, roster move has to be bad. You know, I, there's going to be at least a couple of good moves there and looks like maybe this one is going to be a good one so uh, we'll just have to see how it plays out here in the regular season but uh looks promising from everything i've heard
uh, power struggle with Trent Balky and his head coach. Sounds familiar. Uh, and that guy uh, just recently won a national championship and might be coming back to the NFL um, while Trent Balky uh, was in charge of an implosion of uh, this year uh, of the team that he's GMing. Uh, generally, yeah, so it's interesting, the parallels there. Um, but this guy, this Ryan Nielsen guy, yeah, he definitely looks like somebody who has been on, like, could have possibly been on Dateline NBC or could have been on, like, a Roid Rage. I don't know if there's, like, pages for people who are Roid Ragers, but he kind of has a Roid Rage look to him because of his, like, chin and his beard. He's he's like a white he's like a uh, like a square headed version of Bob Sala. Um, I mean that's that's kind of like what he yeah he kind of has a Bob Sala look except he's got a he's got a square rectangular head and then he has like a triangle. Uh, it's like if a five year old kid drew somebody's head. Um, that's what this Nielsen fella looks like. So I guess he'll fit right in with Trent Balky. Um, because I think he has a square head too. Um, but he's an empty head inside of it, but, uh, you know, so be it. Uh, we'll, uh, move forward to the, um, roar before the 24 or formula E. Yeah. We'll get into that formula E at, uh, Saudi, um, the first or second, uh, Second race of the season, uh, the standings, of course, coming off of uh, the uh, from Mexico City. Uh, Pascal Verline gets the victory, and he had the pole uh, over in the win. He gets the win. He has a 10-point lead over Sebastian Buemi uh, for Envision. Um, and then Nick Cassidy for Tease Jaguar. TCS was third, had the fastest lap. Maxi Gunther was fourth for Maserati. Mitch Evans, uh, teammate to Cassidy and Buddy, they're good friends. Uh, was fifth, the runner-up last year in the championship. Jean-Eric Verne, JQ's former champions, uh, Jean-Eric Verne and then Stoffel Van Dorn, the teammates at DS Penske, defending uh, Formula E world champion, uh, Jake Dennis for Andretti and his teammate Norman Natto uh, rounded out the top 10. Um, Jay Andruvula for Maserati uh, finished 16th. Uh, former uh, champion Antonio Felix da Costa uh, was 19th. Former champion Luca de Grassi 22nd and last um, in the first race. So that's see how that goes and nick devries former champion of the series as well was 15th um so yeah we'll see what happens double header uh coming up this uh later this week they'll be racing on friday and saturday um our time uh so that'll be uh and it'll be at night it looks like so it'll be night races too um We'll see how all that goes and give you the results next week on episode 205 of the GSP. Um, so last uh, but not least, the preview of the Rolex 24 at Daytona. 
Um, the qualifying took place at the Roar. They had multiple, of course, multiple practice sessions, but then they also held the qualifying for uh, the for the race. The Cadillac uh, duo, the both Cadillacs, so the Whalen Engineering Cadillac of Pippo Durrani, Jack Aiken, and Tom Bloomquist gets the pole by seven hundredths of a second. 71 thousandths of a second over the Ganassi Cadillac team of of Sebastian Bourdais, who was the guy who qualified the car, Renger Van de Zanda, Scott Dixon, and defending IndyCar Series champion Alex Pillow. Uh, that So they'll be the front row. Porsche Penske Motorsport with Felipe Nazar driving, along with his teammate Dane Cameron, Matt Campbell, and Indy 500 champion Joseph Newgarden was third. BMW M Team ALL, as Lee Diffie would say, Connor D. Filippi, the American, uh, qualified the car fourth with Nick Yellowly, Maxime Martin, and Rene Rast. Uh, there is fourth. The two Acuras for Wayne Taylor Racing were fifth and sixth. The 40 car with Jordan Taylor. Um, Louis Delatraz was a qualifier. Jordan Taylor, Colton Herta, Jensen Button. And then in sixth was Philippe Albuquerque, Ricky Taylor, Brendan Hartley, and Marcus Erickson uh, there. The second Porsche was seventh. Nick Tandy qualifying. Matthew Jaminet, Kevin Estra, and Lawrence Vantor. The second BMW with Jesse Crone, Augusto Farfis, Philip Bang, and Dries Vantor. The JDC Miller Porsche and the Proton competition Porsche, the number five Mustang sampling car, did not put a lap up. Uh, Vanderhelm, Phil Han- Philip Hansen, Ben Keating, and Richard Westbrook, the full the the full driver, full time driver with Vanderhelm. Will uh, they finish ninth and then in tenth, rounding out the prototype field, uh, GTP field? Jimmy Bruni, Neil Yanni, Piccarello, and Roman Duma uh, rounds out the ten GTP cars that will be racing uh, in the Rolex Twenty Four. Of course, there will be more cars as the season goes on. Lamborghini will debut at uh, Sebring as part of the. Um, the um, Michelin Endurance Challenge races. Um, and then uh, in this prototype two category, Ben Hanley or Ben Keating, uh, who's going to be doing double duty. He qualified on pole in the LMP2 category, which is the class that he's going to, he's committed to for the full season uh, in the wins United Autosports number two. Pato Award, Ben Hanley and Nico Pino. Uh, round out that crew. The Inner Europol by Piero and Matheson, number 52, with Schmithkowski or Schmithowski, who won at uh, Le Mans. Boulier, who qualified the car, Tom Dillman and Clement Novalak, uh, were second. The Crowd Strike by APR 04, which uh, lost in a photo finish. Last year in this race, George Kurtz qualified. Uh, his teammate will be Colin Brown for the full season. Uh, Toby Sowery and Ye- Jacobson there in third. Gar Robinson, Felipe Fraga, Josh Burdon, and Felipe Massa fourth. Uh, Goldberg, 
Paul D. Resta, Garg, and Felix Rosenquist uh, for the second United Auto Sports USA team. So the former bosom, the bosom buddies, the former teammates at McLaren IndyCar back together uh, this weekend for United Auto Sports, which of course is part owned by Zach Brown. The TDS Racing number 11, Seth Thomas, uh, Mikkel Jensen, Hunter McElray and Milesi, uh, PJ Hyatt, uh, Paul Loup Chatin, Matty Brabham and Quinn in the AO Racing number 99, Dennis Anderson, uh, Lucas Hare and Scott Huffaker in eighth with the high class. The 81 Dragon Speed car with Eric Lux, Kiffin Simpson, Allen, and Alvarez. And then the AF Corsa car in 10th, Perez Kompanak, Nicholas Nielsen, Lido Wadu, and uh, Vax Vier. Dwight Merriman, Ryan Dial, Christian Rasmussen, Connor Zilch uh, in the Era Motorsports 18 car. So that's a, a contender for sure. They were a contender all year last year. Um, the one Liget of Lance Wilsey, Jao Barbosa, Nolan Siegel, and Johnny Edgar, I think. that. And then the Tower Motorsports 8 car with John Frano, Michael Dynan, Ferdinand Habsburg, and Scotty McLaughlin uh, round out the 13-car LMP2 field. Uh, Josh, you were you able to get any real uh, pictures or shots of any of these guys or see any of these drivers up close? I know you saw Bubba and John Hunter. Um, were you able to see any of the prototypes up close? I mean, I saw, yeah, some of them up close. I mean, depending on which, uh, you know, where I was in the garage. I didn't really see too many, like, in the garage per se because I think they are all really on track. But um you know on the track you know i saw plenty of action you know with uh the uh saw saw the 40 the you know the new acura with with andretti this year um you know saw the porsches plenty of times you know the six and the seven in gtp class so yeah i was really you know just trying to get as much practice with uh the uh um camera as i could but you know throughout throughout that i mean um I think, you know, just, you know, saw some of the drivers uh, kind of hanging around the garage or discussing with their teams. You know, one thing I will say with Bubba and John Hunter there is, um, I mean, they're going to be in the Porsche or the uh, Michelin Challenge on, on Friday, but they were practicing their driver exchange uh, in their car, and Bubba was really trying hard to get it right. Uh, um, I think he was, I guess maybe he's not as quick and agile, but... Um, I think he was really trying hard to get out of there as fast as he could and then um, get John Hunter there buckled in. And, you know, they, I think they were really just trying to get as fast as what they could because they kept doing it over and over again for maybe like 30, 45 minutes or whatever. But um, I think it was maybe only 30, but like, uh, you know, they were really trying to get it. You could hear Bubba in the garage cursing and trying to get as much as he could out of it but and i think you could tell john hunter was getting a little little bit tired there kevin conway was there trying to help them give them advice on how to get in and out of the car um and everything so um yeah that's just for the uh prototype or not prototype but the michelin cup on on friday so yeah that was pretty interesting to see that there um but 
um, the other cars, um, you know, I, you know, saw definitely plenty of them in, in the garage, uh, throughout and, you know, it's definitely gotta be on your toes walking through there. Um, and gotta know if you're in the right area, honestly, I, I was walking to find Bubba Wallace's stall in the garage. Um, you know, had to ask a security person if I was in the right area, if I can go there or not, you know, cause they, it's open access and all that stuff. So, uh, he's like, Oh, you're good, good to go and everything. And think, you know, if there's a sign that says restricted, you know, obviously don't go there and everything, or I don't know, maybe, maybe act like you should wear a, find a team polo or something and put that on, pretend I'm somebody or something. Um, that might be, might get me in a little bit of trouble though, but, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see maybe. I don't know if I should do that or not, but, um, yeah, on, on there, but, you know, yeah, this is definitely, definitely a good, uh, opportunity to see kind of who had, who had speed, who had pace and everything. And, you know, I'm curious about the, the Porsches, you know, after last year, they, both of them had issues throughout, you know, the, throughout the racing. One of them, um, went behind the wall and had extensive repairs, uh, in the middle of the race. And then the other blew up with, um, I think, maybe four or five hours to go. So, um, you know, I think that's going to be critical, but I, you know, I think they've also solved a lot of their issues, um, that they've had since then. Um, so expect them to do good, but, um, you know, it's, I think also BMWs, they had, they had problems last year as well. So, um, you know, looking, looking to see how, how that, uh, turns out there. Uh, and then, you know, I'm also think you got to be curious about GT3 as well with, uh, the Fords, the, the Mustang that's, uh, debuting there. Want to see how that, uh, takes place. Uh, you know, Vassar Sullivan, they're good. Bosey, uh, on the pit crew there. So we'll get a lot of, uh, coverage from him and everything, uh, on Twitter throughout the weekend. Um, of course, uh, the Chevrolet, uh, with their Corvettes, they're kind of doing a different deal this year. Um, Pratt Miller still exists with Corvette racing, but it's not, not exactly factory supported anymore. And they're, you know, going towards, um, their customers to support them. So, um, that's going to be an interesting change up there. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's going to be, going to be interesting to see how, you know, this 24 hour race, uh, plays out of course. And, um, I will be there next weekend, of course, uh, been going there the last couple of years. So going to be here for the whole time as well. Not just the Saturday only, but, uh, going to stay overnight, uh, on a rental home with some friends and everything and go to the track and, uh, stay there the whole night. Um, although honestly, I kind of want to try, not gonna lie. I kind of want to try staying there the whole time, uh, at the track. I'll just find somewhere to sleep, but that <laughs> might as well just go home or something at that point. So we'll see, we'll see how it goes. But, um, yeah, excited, excited to see how this, uh, weekend goes and you know how this race goes and uh definitely gonna have a lot of pictures and you know definitely be ready to talk about it next week yeah it looks like from all accounts and uh the fan uh amount of fans that were there including yourself that that was a well-attended uh roar and um it's if it is a precursor to what the weekend will be like this weekend for the Rolex and the Michelin Pilot Challenge. Uh, it could be uh, one of the biggest turnouts that the Rolex has had in a long, long time, which is a great thing, honestly, um, and proving the the methods and the logic that IMSA has had uh, with Jim France at the helm and the leadership they had there with John Doonan 
that bringing in all these manufacturers has brought a lot of interest. And then with the GT3 convergence, of, I mean, the convergence of the prototypes and then also the GT3 category, making it to where all a lot of manufacturers have committed to that, um, bringing Ford back to the fold with the Mustang and then Corvette um, with their new Corvette GT3, um, amongst other cars that are around there too. Um, that'll be coming along so in terms of the uh, gt class since uh, josh mentioned it will get into the gt d pro category uh sebastian prio michael christensen and hent heinrich in the ao racing porsche won the pole by eight eighty eight hundredths of a second eighty thousandths of a second over the Vassar Sullivan Lexus, Jack Hawksworth, Ben Barnacote, Kyle Kirkwood, and Mike Conway. The Pratt Miller Corvette number three um, with Antonio Garcia, Alexander Sims, and Daniel Yunkandela was third. Um, Frank Pereira, Jordan Pepper, Andrea Calderari, and Marco Bortolotti. Uh, the f- latter two will be uh, in the uh, Lamborghini prototype at Sebring, uh, the Iron Links team, but they're in a Huracan uh, this weekend. A solid team there. Speaking of solid teams, Daniel Serra, David Rigon, Alexander Perguidi, and James Collado of the Risi Competizione Ferrari. Uh, they tied uh, with the uh, Lamborghini on time there. In sixth place was the FAF Motorsports Plaid McLaren with Kirkhofer, Oliver Jarvis, and Alexander Rossi, and James Hinchcliffe, the uh, podcast do the podcast co-host together and good friends uh, racing together. Hinchcliffe, uh, James coming back to racing after a few, couple of years off. Alexander Rossi. Uh, being a McLaren driver doing the Rolex 24 in a GT car after spending many years in the prototypes. So that'll be a different uh, experience for him. The second Corvette, Tommy Milner, Nicky Katzberg, and Earl Bamba uh, there in seventh and eighth. The second Iron Lynx, Lamborghini, Schiavone, Cressoni, uh Roman Grosjean was the qualifier in Carrioli. The first of the Ford Mustangs, Joey Hand, Dirk Miller qualified in Vervsvich, whoever that is. The Mercedes, uh Sun Energy Mercedes, Jules Gunan, Lucas Stoltz, Mark Maro Engel, uh, and Kenny Habel. Uh Gunan and Engel were part of the team that won last year with uh, WeatherTech Racing. Uh, Alex Riberas, Mario Barnbacher and Ross Gunn, the harder racing Aston Martin. Then the Paul Miller racing BMW, Madison Snow, Brian Sellers, Verhagen, and Sheldon Vanderlinda um, there in 12th. And then rounding out the 13 cars in the pro category, uh, Harry Tinknell, Mike Rockenfeller, and Christopher Mees for the Ford Mustang team there. Ford's definitely had pace in other sessions, so curious to see how that translates in the race. Um, the Vassar Sullivan Lexus, their proven commodity uh, there in um, and uh, one of the older cars in the category. 
uh, see what the Corvette uh, are like and their endurance in the first race with the GT3, how all that will work. Mercedes won last year, different team though this year. Um, Aston Martin, the harder racing team, won both GT Pro and GTM last year. So, in uh, for the season, so we'll see how that all translates. The uh, deepest field is the GTD category. And speaking of the Vassar Sullivan Lexus team, they qualified on pole. Uh, Miata, the uh, the uh, Super Formula champion. And moving over to the uh, Formula 2 category, uh, making a appearance here in the U.S. to race in the Lexus in the GTD category. Parker Thompson, Frankie Montecalvo, Aaron Tielitz, the other drivers. DMDK, Motorsports Porsche, Klaus Bockler and, uh, and company there. The... Uh, Gradient Racing Team with uh, Catherine Legg, who qualified the Acura, along with uh, Sheena Monk, Tatiana Calderon, and Stephen McAleer, uh, getting the, having the luck to be around three women. I wish I was Stephen McAleer. Um, the Wayne Taylor Racing with Andretti Lamborghini, uh, Kyle Marcelli, Formel Doyle, and Ashton Harrison in fourth. Misha Goikberg, uh, Louis Spinelli, Devlin DeFrancesco, and Mitchell Laforte racing Lamborghini. Then three Ferraris, back-to-back-to-back, uh, to back to back, the Conquest racing uh, Ferrari, and the Settler racing number 47 with Eddie Cheever Jr., uh, Antonio Fuco, um, the Conquest cars, Alexander ba- Alessandro Balzan, and then the Trissari Competizione car, um, the AWA Corvette. Uh, they're moving up after being an LMP3. Uh, Nicholas Verone, Thomas Merrill, Charlie Eastwood, and Mantella. There they were in ninth. Tenth is the Inception McLaren with Shandorf, Brandon Ribe, Gamble, and Milroy. The AF Corsa Ferrari. Miguel Molina amongst that driver lineup. Uh, the Andretti Motorsports uh, 43 car Porsche with Jared Andretti and Gabby Chavez, Thomas Prining and Hargrove. The Iron Dames in 13th, Ra- Rahel Frey, Michelle Gadding, and Sarah Bovey. The second AWA Corvette with Kern, Matt Bell, uh, Fidani, and Alex Lynn. The Proton Competition Ford Mustang uh, with Ryan Hardwick, Dennis Olson, Leverado, and Lewis. The Turner Motorsport BMW with Robbie Foley, Patrick Gallagher, Walker, and Klingman. Uh, Windward Racing Mercedes, Russell Ward, Philip Ellis, Daniel Morad. Uh, the Korthoff Preston Mercedes, Mike Skeen, Kenton Koch, Mich- Michelle Grenier, and uh, Maximilian Gotz, the Wright Motorsports Porsche number 120, which was utilized uh, by one Brad Pitt as part of the Formula One movie that he's putting out there with Lewis Hamilton, uh, got in behind the wheel of this car. Uh, Adelson, Skier, Jan Halen, and Fred McAwicki. And then rounding out the 20 cars, 
Adam Christodoulou and Comp and Rio Andrade in the number eighty Lone Star Mercedes Andrews Yulo. I mean, when it comes to the or no, sorry, there's three more cars: uh, the Magnus, Aston, Potter, Lally, Pump Alley, and Nikki Team. The harder racing Aston, Roman DeAngelis, Zachary Robishani, and James Marco Sorensen, and uh, Kelly Moss, Porsche, Trent Hinman, and Lauer, Udell, and Brule did not set a time. So 23 cars in that class. I mean, the GTD class is wide open. Um, you're going to have to run relatively clean 24 hours to win this category. It came down to a photo finish at the end of 24 hours last year. Uh, GT Pro, a lot um, more condensed, uh, really good lineups. Uh, I would think as a wild card for me, I would say the Paul Miller BMW because, you know, Brian Sellers and Madison Snow, they've been in the GTD category for the last few years, but it's a solid combination, solid car, um, and if they can be there at the end, I think they could compete uh, really well with some of these full pro uh, teams. The I'm not going to make any winner picks because I really don't know or have an idea per se uh, The for the GT categories. Uh, there is, and also, or no, I said the photo finish, that was LMP2. Yeah, um, that was last year. My my fault there. Um, in terms of the LMP2 category, my personal bias, I want to see the two-car win because of Pato Award, uh, but I wouldn't mind if Colin Brown won with CrowdStrike, so I kind of have, I can hedge with uh, two cars there. There's people that I am fans of in, like, Maddie Brabham, uh and then, you know, Scotty McLaughlin. So there, I, I would be happy. There's a few guys here, you know, that uh, if they were to win, it would be cool. But really, Paddle Award or Colin Braun, uh, if one of those guys could go and pull it off, it would be good. And they're up front to start the race uh, on Saturday. And if if I had my druthers, it would be cool to see the Faf McLaren win, seeing Hinch when uh, returning to uh, racing, or I would say one of the Fords on debut would be good uh, personally. And then uh, in the in the GTD, it's really, really hard in GTD with such a deep field. And when you look at uh, the harder racing 27 being next to last, uh, I really doubt that that's where they'll be the end of 24 hours so um and that Korthoff mercedes and windward mercedes they've the mercedes cars they may not qualify well uh but i think they're good race they've been really good race cars over the past few years at the rolex so they're deep in the field but i don't think that speaks to what they're going to be at the end of 24 hours either um, of course rooting for sheena monk Catherine leg uh, if they can go and have a good run, it'd be nice. They struggled a lot last year. Uh, but when it comes to a, the strongest lineup, I think that Lexus has the strongest lineup in the class. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that all works out there. And they're a proven commodity. 
in terms of the GTP category, um, rooting interest is not is basically not the Cadillacs, but um, even though I mean uh, I have the respect for all those guys on the on the Ganassi side. Uh, Pippo Durrani, I used to root for him, and he was driving for Scott Sharp and the um, team. Uh, I'm forgetting what the Patron te- Tequila team, but um, I mean, uh, I, I, that one is also tough. I mean, the point that you brought up, Josh, with the Porsches is interesting. Now there's four of them in this race. Yeah. Um, and one of them didn't even put up a lap in qualifying, but the driver lineup, very uh, experienced Bruni, Yanni, and Dumas. Uh, the amount of experience they have in endurance racing uh, is relatively unmatched. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what Porsche does. Uh, the Cadillacs have proven over the years to stand up very well to 24 hours, and the Acuras, too. Um, and now being that they're Wayne Taylor and Dreddy Acuras, the Taylor brothers, um, racing against each other for the first time in the same team, uh, Philippe Albuquerque, Louis Delatraz, two of the best out there. Um, it's, I think the Andretti, those Wayne Taylor, Andretti Acuras are going to be hard to beat in race pace. Um, but that battle with Cadillac is going to be interesting because that's been the rivalry over the last few years in this race specifically. Um, but you can never count out Penske and the way that the BMW team ran late in the year, they're going to be competitive for sure. So it could be right down to the wire uh, at the end of 24 hours uh, with this class. Uh, I think the in- the being able to make it is as much to do with what's going to happen uh, with this uh, category. Um, let's get on to the NFL Conference Championship preview and picks. Uh, first off, of course, is the AFC Championship game. Josh and uh, Baltimore hosting Kermit the Frog and the Kansas City Chiefs. Will the Chiefs make their fourth Super Bowl in, what, five years? Uh or will the Baltimore Ravens get back to the Super Bowl for the first time since uh, 2012? Um, and Lamar Jackson, who will be getting the MVP trophy in a couple weeks' time at NFL Honors, will he be busy that particular week? It's going to be interesting, then. Um, I'm going to go with the Ravens here. I think the uh, Chiefs, for as good as they've been, uh, I think they just don't have quite enough uh, on offense uh, to be able to overmatch the Ravens. Uh, the Ravens defense has pretty much been able to stop anybody throughout the year, and Mike Mike McDonald probably should be a head coach somewhere or um, something, and based on the job he's done with the defensive uh, side of Baltimore. Uh, so um, it's going to be tough uh, for uh, Patrick Mahomes uh, to go, go up against this defense, and I think, you know, running-wise, I think, Baltimore can run the ball better than Kansas City, uh, so it's going to be tough for Mahomes. So uh, I'm going to go with the Ravens here, and you know, I think their offense, uh, like we said earlier, is very dynamic and I think can go up even against the Chiefs' defense, which is also very tough with uh, Steve Spagnuolo's scheme that they have running up there, Legereus Sneed and Chris Jones, uh, two very good uh, defensive players there uh, and everything. So uh, I think the 
uh, Ravens will come out with the win uh, here uh, in Baltimore. I think home field advantage them hosting an AFC championship game for the first time in a long time, I think uh, is, uh, you know, I mean, I don't think they've ever hosted the AFC Championship game as the Ravens. So you have to go back to the days of the Baltimore Colts when the last time that they uh, had an AFC Championship game in Baltimore. So I think that city's going to be very excited to be able to send off that team to go to the Super Bowl. So I pick the Ravens here, although I will say cynically, if the Chiefs were to win and go to the Super Bowl, the Taylor Swift factor, uh, I only bring this up because of her massive fan base and you know, with the questionable officiating this year with the NFL, um, you know, and a lot of people talking about the NFL being rigged, you know, maybe uh, the Swifties can put the heat on the NFL uh, and get them to really light up the league on fire in terms of officiating uh, if that goes bad, which it's going to be in Vegas where, you know, it's going to be a very sus uh, game there. So, you know, that's a very cynical rooting interest if that does happen. Uh, but you know, I think uh, football wise, I think I'd rather see the, uh, the Ravens uh, go go to the uh, Super Bowl for the first time since uh, 2012. Yeah, and I think honestly that is the safe that makes more most sense based on what the way they've played this year, and uh, you know, with the guy who is going to be the MVP of the league, um, Lamar Jackson's progression uh, this year. Um, Mark Andrews, it seems like rumors are out there that he's going to f- come back after however many weeks on the injured list. So that's his number one target, uh, Lamar Jackson. Uh, and it would be a battle of two of the best tight ends in the league. Isaiah Likely, as you mentioned, has emerged as a great talent. So it's uh, uh, talking about how tight ends have all of a sudden become a thing again, uh, be a great battle that way but for some reason i'm like i'm i'm willing to go the other way and it's because picking against patrick mahomes just doesn't really i can't do it here for whatever reason maybe it's because i don't like lamar jackson maybe it's because i don't like the baltimore ravens but um but it also is it's patrick mahomes and he's gone out and done stuff that you know people didn't think was possible uh, he's also gone out there and proven people wrong over time, uh, through his whole career. And, uh, he is the face of the league. You talk about questionable officiating. If there's a guy that gets calls more than anybody in the NFL, his name is Patrick Mahomes. You got all those stupid, goofy state farm commercials with him and Andrew Ryad and Mahato, um, uh, Taylor Swift's boyfriend. He finally came out of hibernation after about two months of sucking. Um, if Travis Kelsey is able to kind of, and they're able to dictate the game with Travis Kelsey, I, they, he, they're hard to stop. And talking about the running game, Isaiah Pacheco, outside of um, outside of Christian McCaffrey, I think right now is the best, second best running back in this in the playoffs right now. Um, he did it last year. He was a big part of why the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Uh, the New Jersey product, the Rutgers guy, a sixth-round draft pick, showing yet again goes great with this evaluation of of talent because he doesn't have the measurables. Um, he's goes as a sixth-round draft pick, but the guy runs like a bull. And um, 
if they're able to go and make that Baltimore Ravens defense kind of give them a, a a battle there, I think Kansas City goes out there and and pulls the upset and gets the win and goes to yet another Super Bowl uh, under the uh, Mahomes Reed regime. So um, Kansas City over uh, Baltimore. The NFC Championship game will be Detroit at San Francisco. Uh, Josh, uh, what are you thinking here? I mean, Detroit has got so much momentum. They've had a lot of momentum, a lot of positive vibes. You have Dan Campbell, a former player, uh, Brad Holmes, the GM. It's It's a matchup. I mean, even with that leadership structure, that coach GM relationship, two of the best examples of great relationships in the Dan Campbell, Brad Holmes, and also the Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. They're trying to get to the Super Bowl for the second time, the 49ers, since this regime took over. Um, They were the number one seed when they did it back in 2019. They're a number one seed again. Um, You have Christian McCaffrey, who is uh, honestly, in my opinion, the MVP of the league. Um, he has played at lights out the whole entire year and has been absolutely ridiculous. And, um, he's going to be the factor X factor. I think at the end of the day, Detroit has a lot of great players, skill position players, and they have a good running game with a two headed monster. They have one of the best wide receivers in the NFL and Jared Goff is probably playing at the best that he ever has played. And he's a former number, number one overall pick too. And he made a Super Bowl. But in the end, I don't think Detroit can stop Christian McCaffrey. And if they're able to get him going and they're able to dictate with Christian McCaffrey, then Brock Purdy is going to be able to dictate um, the passing game. The linebacker core on the Lions is suspect. George Kittle can expose that. And if Kyle Shanahan decides to throw to him, uh, which seems to always be a question. And then the cornerbacks are somewhat of, a, you know, C.J. Gardner-Johnson's more talk than actually play. Branch is a good player, though, um, safety, whatever. So, I mean, there's, I think Ayuk has been quiet for the last few weeks. I think this is a time where he could show up. And then when it comes to the other side, you saw what big play Dre did last week. Fred Warner due to have a big one and um, put him on his back. And the the defensive line, Nicholas John Bosa and um, Chase Young, they really they were trying to get to the quarterback. They weren't successful uh, last week. Uh, Jared Goff is more susceptible to getting sacked and turning the ball over. Uh, he hasn't done that so far this postseason, really. Uh, um if he's able, if they're able to go and get to him and hit him, it could be uh, the difference in the game. But uh, whatever you want to say, bias, whatever, I say the 49ers go and make it to the Super Bowl. Uh, what say you, Josh? I have to agree with you. Uh, the 49ers go to the Super Bowl uh, here uh, and defeat the Detroit Lions. I mean, it's been a nice run for Detroit, but uh, I think – you know, in the elements out in San Francisco, uh, you know, per- particularly this time of the year, we saw it this past weekend. I mean, they they are a tough team, but um, I just don't know if uh, 
Jared Goff be able to survive uh, in that in that environment. So, um, and obviously, I think Brock Purdy's very used to it and everything. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be uh, San Francisco winning over over Detroit. Uh, it's going to be an interesting game. Of course, I think it's going to be a very very physical game on on both sides of the ball. Uh, I don't expect it to be very high scoring until the second half. I think the 49ers are going to pull away in the second half. Kind of similar to um, the Baltimore and uh, Houston game this past weekend. I think uh, the talent that they have on offense for 49ers, uh, I think they're going to pull away. Uh, Debo being kind of questionable this week. You know, obviously he left the game last week and everything. So um, going to be very interesting, and especially the uh, mind games that the coaching staff will probably play on, you know, his status and everything. So I'm sure it'll be like a game time decision there and he'll be able to, uh, come out last minute and probably try it out in pregame warmups and see if he's ready to go, uh, and everything. So, uh, obviously if he's able to go, it'd be a huge, huge advantage. Uh, you know, the type of play that he brings to the table with, you know, what they're able to do, uh, just provides another, uh, chess piece, uh, for Kyle Shanahan and Brock Purdy. So, uh, it should be a very interesting matchup there, and I have no doubt that San Francisco uh, pull it out and go to the Super Bowl. And I'll be sitting here, you know, I'll have family here going, and we'll be doing a second part of the birthday and having the uh, my uh, usual football ice cream cake, which has been a tradition, a tradition unlike any other as a, uh, um, Jim Nance loves to say about the Masters. Uh, that's a tradition unlike any other for me uh, for I don't know how many years in my life. So that'll be going on there. And I'll probably be screaming at the TV uh, like a psychopath because I like to do that, especially when it comes to the 49ers. I've done it in bars uh, without shame, but I'd rather do it in my house. My family won't understand why, but I really don't care. It's for a chance at the Super Bowl. Um, so we'll see what happens with that uh, on Sunday evening. Uh, Josh, uh, it's your turn to go with uh, what's going on in iRacing and the sim segment. Yeah, of course. I mean, on iRacing, it was the iRacing Daytona 24 hours uh, this past weekend. Uh, wasn't, you know, I wasn't able to do it, but um, you know, I wanted to go to the actual roar uh, for the 24 and, and see that, uh, while I was at the roar, I actually was kind of able to kind of talk with, uh, Keegan Leahy, the, uh, uh, esports iRacing driver for 2311. He was there accompanying, uh, Bubba Wallace and, uh, John Hernanemacek there. So got to hear kind of some of the insight from him. You know, he obviously very highly ranked. Uh, I think there was one time, uh, the first time I attempted the iRacing Indy 500 in 2021. I think he was in, or may have been 2022, he was in the uh, split uh, ahead of me. I think it was in second split and he was in first split. So uh, interesting there, but kind of got to hear some of his insight on iRacing. He hasn't been participating officially uh, in iRacing lately, but, you know, kind of doing private league stuff. So don't blame him there. And, um, you know, kind of hearing his insight and, uh, what it takes to do the iRacing Road to Pro Series and all that stuff. So it was kind of cool to see that. Uh, there was another fan that was there while we were waiting for Bubba Wallace and everybody to get done. He was freaking out over Keegan Leahy more than he was over Bubba Wallace because obviously, you know, iRacing people and everything like that. And um, that was like, once he said Keegan Leahy, he's like, oh, I know who that is. So um, I didn't recognize him at first, but 
um you know once it was pointed out to me i was like oh i i knew that is so yeah that's pretty cool uh but the uh, iRacing 24 uh at daytona uh obviously um max verstappen was in that in the top split and his uh team redline racing won the gtd class uh in uh there they didn't participate in prototypes but they went gtd and um max verstappen i think they did a lot of bump drafting and uh slip streaming their way uh to the win and uh the in that race i think team redline was one too uh and also notable uh augustin canapino was with the williams esports uh gtp uh team that won overall in top split so uh i guess yeah real life racers having their influence there uh saw jimmy broadbent's uh stream and i think they finished seventh in their split i don't know if they were in top uh split or not but they uh his team finished in seventh uh and everything saw bunch of shenanigans throughout the 24 hours you know people getting taken out a uh, lot lots of driving error and stuff like that um there's i think i think the uh team uh i don't know if, uh you saw this or not uh alanis king uh motorsports journalist her husband competing in the 24 hours and i guess somebody that they were racing against took them out and they were not happy about it um and everything so that's uh kind of shenanigans that go on sometimes in that um it's also some other stuff on reddit and elsewhere where people got crashed out or taken out or somebody like spun out in front of the pit exit and then turned around right back onto the racing line and, and took out a gtp car so uh you know that's a lot a lot of shenanigans that can't happen in the 24 hours and stuff so you know some you just hope to make it to the end obviously in, like in the real life but you know it sucked to get taken out so early or even so late in the event so um you know that's interesting and also i did see one thing on reddit uh, apparently uh one guy you can't do this uh but one guy actually was able to go the entire 24 hours on his own and uh technically won his split but it doesn't count because i racing will give you a penalty because um it's supposed to be a team race uh but he was able to complete the entire 24 hours and uh actually win it so i guess you don't have to do driver changes or anything like that you can continue on and put on the field and apparently people were asking him in the comments what do you do to uh go on and he said oh you drank a bunch of energy drinks painkillers uh and just liquid diet throughout so you wouldn't have to go to the bathroom or anything like that so um yeah kind of kind of interesting but um i don't think i'd be able to do that it's uh it's uh, maybe when i was in college or something but i don't know if i'd be able to do that now so that's uh, <laughs> a lot a lot of physical uh that's even iron yeah. bladder is what that is. <laughs> yeah that too that too so i would not be able to do that but i have seen in the past though there is some old youtubers that i don't know if they play iRacing anymore but they went the full way without uh stopping or or without you know on their own but they were doing it for charity so i don't know if this person was but uh, apparently in the uh the race when the guy said everybody was congratulating him on being able to do it uh but of course um you know it's a it's an interesting feat to be able to do and obviously that's like the one thing you can't do in real life because it be straight up impossible to do but nonetheless uh still interesting to see that but you know gonna try to do a lot more road racing this year i think uh been a lot oval racing i mean i have done a lot of road stuff but i'm gonna try to really get improve uh my racecraft and um i guess 
driving ability on the roadside to try to um you know level up and really really be more competitive i guess so you will know, we'll see how i'm able to do that really like uh being able to do gt style racing i think you know that's really where i like like to be on uh on the road side of things so gonna gonna try to do more of that this year and maybe try to do some of these endurance style events uh especially like um sebring or anything like that so definitely uh if i'm do it definitely be on the lookout for that of course and of course all the regular special events like the daytona 500 is in a month from now so gonna have to start preparing for that uh and getting getting my strategy and plan together for that so we'll be in that of course but as always when you know we stream stream on uh twitch tv slash you sailor two and go in there and see all my stuff and hopefully this year we'll definitely have plenty of streams to go about uh when you know when i'm available to do that and all that stuff so definitely looking forward to doing that um also we'll say uh my twitter of course been active on there with the nfl playoffs and stuff and rolex 24 and all that stuff going there and uh my twitter at jp huffine and of course our youtube page which we have everything up there uh to date at Gripshire podcast on youtube go in there subscribe and like comment and follow our our stuff on there so yeah glad to be back for another week of course and you know manifesting i guess in a way the san francisco 49ers way to the super bowl i think it's gonna happen finally for you so uh we'll have to wait and see in a week from now and um you know glad to be back for another year of racing and um hopefully our best year yet in terms of being able to uh see all the racing and talk about it and all that stuff yeah absolutely man it's been we've had fun doing this for over 200 episodes now never thought we'd be anywhere near this i love doing this every week um for sure and getting for some of the change for some of the changes i've done in life of course uh being able to have our friendship and also with joe um has been a great thing for for my life and also for the show in general um so i'm grateful to you guys and um you know being getting around the sun here another year um got the gray hairs to show it and other issues but uh the fact of the matter is we're here and um things are moving in a positive direction in so many areas so the fact that uh this show also is here and we've got it we keep on going with it is a cool deal and um you'll definitely be talking uh about the conference championship weekend we'll be talking about the rolex 24 and um other uh motorsports news here next week on episode 205 uh, we will do an early, too early preview of the Super Bowl as well um, next week and give you updates on coaching and GM uh, changes. And um, yeah, whatever else is coming on, uh, Super Motocross, uh, Formula E, and other racing that's going on. Rally Monte Carlo, I forgot about that actually. Um, we'll rally Monte Carlo. Um We'll uh, get into that as well. So um, talk about all of that. You can find me at PGMatthew28 on Twitter. You can find us at Gripster Pod on Twitter. Uh, Josh mentioned the YouTube page where you upload the video feed. Um, you can go to philipgmatthew.com uh, to get the audio feed 
uh, also on my YouTube page. Um, you can get the audio feed. So there are different places you can go to hear and see the Gripshire podcast. So definitely like, subscribe, support us. And um, we're going to hopefully get more people on this year. I have somebody, a couple people already on planned for the NASCAR portion of Speed Weeks at some point. And um looking to have more guests and more people on the GSP here as we get into season uh, season five of the GSP. And um, for that, uh, with that, uh, for Josh, I'm Phil. We'll see you next week on the Grip Strip Podcast. And for me as a one year closer to pushing 40 uh, at that point. So I'm an old fuck. Um, so with that... I'll we'll see you next week on the GSP. Take care.